Welcome back to the Hair Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Mel, and this is episode number 35. I have gone a little left of center with today's guest. I have with me Katie Gillettly. She is she works in financial planning. She is an avid adventurer. She is mum to Tilly and Lou. And she loves a glass of wine. So cheers, Katie. How are you? Good, thank you. How, How are did you, that intro Mel? just make you feel? Awkward. <laughs> Why? I should um, put a disclaimer that Lou and Tilly are four-legged babies. Oh, my God. I, I knew that, obviously. But I was like, I did not even think of that. I'm so sorry. To her fur babies, my Tilly and babies. Lou. My old, my old souls. <laughs> Tilly usually loves to make a uh, appearance on our calls, mm. but unfortunately, she's been banned from the room. I have locked her out. Yes, yeah. So the reason that I've got you on here, and I've had this little discussion with you, but I just want to explain to my listeners, I really believe that there is a link between female financial literacy and female health. Um, Katie and I have been doing some work together and while I've been coaching her, there's all, there's been these little like, oh, what about this in the financial world? And I think it is a conversation that women really use, need to get comfortable having. So my first question for you is how would you define financial literacy? Probably I would say your understanding around money for yourself. Um, you, you can't ever put this two different people in the same basket when it comes to finances. Everyone is completely different. They have their own relationship and feelings towards money. Um, and that probably is the same for health. So that's the similarity that you're probably talking about. Um, so it's really around people's understanding of their current position in terms of money, but then also their possible future position and understanding how are they going to support themselves because like it or not we need money to survive which is how the world works so I suppose in understanding your current position and where you want to get to is financial literacy because it's it's what's the word like it's I think you nailed it understanding your position Yeah, like a lot of people don't even understand, you know, where their super sits or what even is super, that sort of thing is like such an important aspect of our lives really dictates our whole future and people just don't know that. You can't see this, but I'm just smirking at the screen when Katie's like, and people don't understand where their uh, super sits. I'm like, I have no fucking idea where my super sits. <laughs> That's so common. Like, I can't tell you how many times a client will come into the office and go, oh, I want to speak to someone, but I don't actually know what I've got. You know, we we provide them with what's called a fact find. And part of that is, you know, writing down your current position and one of the biggest ticket items for us is where does your super sit? And people will have like five to eight different super funds um, and they didn't even realise that. So it's, it, but super is how you're going to fund your retirement. 
So it's one way that you're going to fund your retirement. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, I will let you know that I have consolidated all my super funds. I do only have one super fund. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where did this come from? Like, even in saying that, there's a lot of, like, as you were talking, I'm like, if we hadn't said the words financial literacy, you could have been talking about a female understanding her own health. Mm. Yeah, understanding where you want to go, understanding how all the pieces work together, you know, and even just understanding your position where you are now. Mm -hmm. How did, where did that passion start for you? How did you decide that financial planning was something that you wanted to go into? Yeah, I, first of all, I love meeting new people. (laughs) Um, I am a bit of a shy person sometimes. I don't believe that. (laughs) (laughs) But I love, like, I have such a passion just to sit and listen to people and understand them and to hear. I, there's nothing better than hearing someone talk about something that they're passionate about. It brings me so much joy. And the best part about financial planning is I meet so many different people and they all have their own sources of wealth or their own stories to tell. Um, but it's, it's even better when you see them go from um, one life stage to the next and watch their realisation, especially retirees, when someone comes in and says, I've been working, you know, my whole life, I've been slogging myself, blah, 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 I just want to live. And then we're looking at their super balances and we're looking at their bank account we're going, you could retire now. And watching their face go from like this almost despair and uncertainty to, are you serious? Can I actually do this? That relief that they get is, it's it's so good. It makes all the stress <laughs> of my work so worth it. So I suppose the, the passion to help people in a way sounds a bit cliche but it is it's true it doesn't it doesn't and I think you know I think we all have a passion to help people and our advantage for better part of a word is really understanding where that is and so for you it's in helping people uncover financially where they stand and how Mm -hmm. they can fulfill the things that they want to do in life yeah definitely so I just had a really good question there and then something just something distracted me in the background so I mean that's well and good that you we can get to retirement age and go you know what's next kind of thing but where do we like these people have worked hard their entire life they've put their money into super they've done all the right things but how do they get to retirement age and not realize they're in a really good financial position probably understanding the importance of super um, and I'm not here to say that wealth inside super is the be all end all because it's not. There are other ways to generate wealth and there are pros and cons to each different kind of strategy. Um, but in terms of super, the government bought in super in the 1990s and the whole purpose of super is because Australia has an ageing population. How could a government like support that ageing population through um, social security, like Centrelink benefits, that sort of thing. So they bought in super as a way to help Australians 
basically it's a forced savings um, to be able to be self-funded retirees. Boring, I know. <laughs> no. But it's that's the whole purpose of super is to be able to provide you with an income in retirement. And the government put these great little Easter eggs of tax savings and that sort of thing attached to super to make it attractive. Um, but I suppose the people that are coming in that don't, realize that they can retire people who probably don't understand how super actually funds your retirement because it's all well and good to say I've got a hundred thousand dollars in super for retirement but but what's that a hundred thousand dollars actually going to do for you in retirement Mm -hmm. and I think it's understanding that and the the thing to note is that your super is an investment. Your investment is going to generate income. So if you have it invested, those investments are going to generate you an income. The income is how you're going to support yourself in retirement. So your super balance is, say, um, $100,000. That's your capital. Your capital is then going to generate you an income, which the government, again, the little Easter egg of super is that a pension income from super once you retire is tax-free yeah the government is looking after us as much as we'd like to fight the government yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) it's there's a there is a rhyme and reason for it they're not just you know (laughs) yeah doing things it's all well and good so then how to so you know part of this conversation is so that you know the people listening myself I mean, you're well on the way there, but, you know, we don't get to retirement age and start to ask these questions. How is someone in their 30s and 40s, how can we start to be more aware and maybe make smarter choices around um, building wealth in and outside of super? Yeah, sure. Um, So inside super, obviously, um, you've got your super guaranteed contributions, which is from your employer. For people who are employed, um, like through you know, an employer, that sounds really dumb, but (laughs) not self-employed people. I was just going to say, my employer is a total cow when it comes to super. (laughs) Like we're still in discussion about what the arrangement is. (laughs) Yeah. So people like the, the point of super guarantee contributions is that uh, the, your employer is um, obligated to put in, I think it's 11% now, 11% of your salary into your super that's the law um self-employed people obviously they don't necessarily have to um depending on the structure of their business so you do see self-employed people with lowest um super balances because they don't have the forced the money going in constantly um so that is growing your super. If you've got SG going in, which is the super guarantee, if you've got that going in, obviously your super balance is going to be growing. It's compounding 101. The balance of your super and the investments inside then generate the income. If you have your investments inside your super on what's called a reinvestment plan, it's going to continue to purchase more units of the investments that you hold inside your super and it's going to compound. So 
your contributions are growing your super, but your investment income is also growing your super. So there's there's that that's growing it, but then there are options that you can put more into super, extra or additional. Um, and there are two types of super contributions. Um, one is called concessional contributions, which is um, before tax contributions. So it'll come out of your pre-tax income. And then you've got non-concessional contributions, which is after tax. So your pay has gone into your bank account and then you're putting the money in. You've already paid your income tax on it you're putting it in. So it's already been taxed. It's not going to be taxed inside super. Only the earnings on your investment income is taxed inside of super on those types of contributions. Have I lost you? No, I'm just sitting here going like, (laughs) this is literally why you employ someone to do this. Like there are so many intricate details to how this works, why this works, actually Mm -hmm. making it work for you. You know, unless you really want to dedicate a good chunk of time and energy into understanding this, this is literally why you employ someone to do this for you. (laughs) I think Katie's just sold her services there and then end of episode. (laughs) Um, It's like an accountant, you know, it's like they're going to know the ins and outs of tax um, and no one questions that. But there is some, there's still, I find that there's this little stigma around financial planners. And a lot of people think that we're just wanky people who, you know, only look after the wealthy. Well, I think that's like, yeah, I think it is. I think it's like I know that misconception and only through conversation with you, which is why I wanted you on the podcast to be like, who, 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 who hires a financial planner? Why, why would somebody hire a financial planner? And And like I said, listening to you tell your stories, I'm like, holy shit, it's not just for the rich and wealthy. No, no. My favorite clients are, you know, Joe Bloggs and his wife who are in their 60s who have been slogging themselves their whole lives to retire and they come in and they are just the most down-to-earth, beautiful people with beautiful stories to tell. They're my favorite clients. The Richie Rich, like, don't get me wrong they're great and it's they are also super interesting people but there's something about your average Australian that you know mum and dad that have had you know two kids bought them up and done their best to provide for their family and watching them retire is it's gold Bloody oath it would be. It's the same, like, again, it's the same with the women that I work with, really, women that have worked hard for, again, for their families to raise and nurture their families their entire life when they actually start to pay attention to themselves and what they want and this, like, glowing energy appear from them. Like, I get it. I know that vision. Sparks joy. (laughs) (laughs) So if we really want to start improving, like I keep come, coming back to where we started, if we really want to start improving with female financial literacy and understanding, you know, our super contribution and what it is, can you give me a little, like, can you give, do you see women only clients? Is there, you know, or are you seeing couples? What's the sort of, Give me a bit of background on, yeah, female and wealth building. Mixed bag with clients. Um, 
usually husband and wife. Um, we do see a lot of um, business owners come through, um, but that's more around the complexity of how they're running their businesses, and it's usually hand in hand with um, with their accountant. But we do see couples come in usually between, I want to say, 50 and 65. And they they come in and they go, I'm looking to retire in the next 10 years and I thought I should probably start doing something. And we always say to clients, clients who come and see us who have done something are in better shape than someone who hasn't if that makes sense so someone who's come in that has chipped a little bit of extra into super or has you know built a bit of wealth outside of um, super they're going to have a lot more financial freedom in their retirement and in their life than someone who doesn't do anything um so I suppose the women I see come through um and it is a bit of an interesting topic to talk about is that wealth the the wealth gap or the gender pay gap Mm -hmm. um, between men and women and there's no hiding behind it women have less super um, and that could probably be linked back to the gender pay gap Mm -hmm. so you do see women come in and they do have lower balances than their husbands Um, you just can't deny that that's the truth um it can be because of the pay gap but then you also have to think that traditionally um and I use that term very loosely because it's not necessarily what I think or believe in but women are the ones who stay and raise the family so they take the break out of their career um and their uh income earning or wealth accumulating years um to raise children or stay at home so they're missing out on those super guaranteed contributions they're kind of missing out on earning their own income and that sort of thing obviously everyone everyone's position and situation is different um but that's I suppose speaking generally um so I suppose that a way that someone in their 30s or even 20s there's no um there's no age too young to start. When you're working and you're you're putting money into super, there's no rules around putting in money to super other than your contribution caps and that sort of thing. They're the things to look out for, but that's why you, again, hire someone with the expertise. Hire a professional. Guide, yeah. <laughs> to guide you on those things, but there's, you know, someone who's going to be putting in even just $10 a week into their super from as early as possible, $10 a week out of your after-tax or even pre-tax income is going to make a pretty substantial difference to your super balance. Like I'm talking maybe $100,000 in retirement difference. That might not sound like a lot of money to some, but when you're talking about generating an income from that balance, you would actually find that someone with $600,000 versus $700,000 in their super retirement will have 
a big difference in income. So if you're talking on average, if say someone has $600,000 in their super on ret- in retirement. And Is that an average gener- figure? Oh, I think so. In our generation, it certainly mm-hmm. will be. Um, in the baby baby boomers, is it Gen X is the next one. I don't know. I never know. But I also think that's an important conversation to know yeah. what figures we're sort of aiming for or can expect. Yeah. So we like our generations will certainly have higher super balances than our say mums and dads who are baby boomers or you know born between the in between sixties and seventies. Their their super balances are how they are because super was never um, compulsory until I think it was it's in the 1990s. So we have been paying super our entire working life and we Mm -hmm. will. Up until the day we retire, we will be forced to pay super for those who aren't (laughs) self-employed. But that's, that's how it is. So for our parents, you know, they've only maybe spent half of their working life contributing into super so I would say our generation is going to see um super balances of anywhere between 600 to a mil just Mm -hmm. based on super guarantee that's not even factoring in putting in anything extra or generating wealth outside of super how long is the super supposed to support us for until life expectancy which is oh good question I think it's like 83 for women. Don't quote me on this. (laughs) I think it's sitting at around 83. I usually, when we do um, advice, we work off um, 87 as that's just an assumption. Obviously, we don't know how long we're going to live for. But Obviously, the women listening to this program are like pro-health and really looking after themselves. So, you know, they can expect longer life expectancy. A hundred, for sure. A <laughs> hundred. You'll get that letter from the king now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like till life expectancy. So I suppose you want to make sure that you're going to have enough capital to generate you an income when you do retire. I suppose it's probably important to talk about You've got your super fund, which is essentially a vehicle that holds your retirement savings. But inside of your super fund are the investments. Now, there are different types of super funds um, on the market. So everyone's heard of industry funds. Yeah. There are also other different types of super funds. So you've got government funds, which are more for more available to like healthcare workers, um, teachers, people who work for like the Department of Health and that sort of thing, they will have a government super. Um, There are corporate supers. So for large um, companies like Qantas and that sort of thing, Qantas employees have access to um, the Qantas super. It's a corporate super. And then there is also retail funds which are more for people who probably have gone and seen a financial advisor. Retail funds really give you the opportunity to tailor your super and choose your investments. They're a lot more transparent and they allow a lot more active management of your retirement savings. And then lastly, you've got what's called a self-managed super fund, which is basically in the name you own that super fund and you manage it. There's a lot of work behind an SMSF. Um, 
But a lot of times people who have those want to hold physical property because that's the only superstructure that will allow you to use your super to go and buy, you know, a commercial property or a residential property. There are a lot of rules around that though. So it's important to receive advice, see an expert. (laughs) But those are your different structures or super funds that are available. Inside of those super funds, whatever one you have, you're going to have the opportunity to have your super money invested. Your investments are usually your average person that will walk off the street that has an industry fund. Let's, shall we use an avatar? Yes. What should we call her? Tilly. Tilly. Okay, so Tilly, she's in her mid-30s. She has $60,000 in super in an industry fund, and she, but she's never done anything with it. She's just worked her whole life. So she comes in, likely her industry fund will be invested in the default investment option, which is generally a balanced investment option. And what I mean by that is it's got a 50-50 split of asset classes. So your asset classes range from term deposits. We all know what a term deposit is, I hope. Bonds, shares, um, property, managed funds, all of those types of investments, there's a split between those of growth assets and defensive assets. So your defensive assets are things like cash, fixed interest, bonds, ones that are quote-unquote safer investments and then you've got your growth which are a little bit more volatile like shares in companies so that is likely what Tilly would be invested in (laughs) Tilly (laughs) so how Tilly could be a little bit more proactive with her super and with her retirement savings would be going okay I'm invested in this 50-50 split of growth and defensive assets. It's just whatever the industry fund gives out. They are what the investment options inside of an industry fund are called index funds. They are not actively managed. They just do what the market does. Whereas if you had something like um, a retail fund that had that flexibility and the features and options to tailor your investments and have more active management, you would be able to have like um, investments inside that that are managed by um, professionals that do almost like day trading. Like think of the Wall Street. Have you seen Wolf of Wall Street? I haven't. (laughs) Kind of like that. All my friends know not to ask me about movies because they're like, oh, you haven't seen it. (laughs) (laughs) So um, you've got people in and behind the scenes of those investments inside of those types of super funds that allow you that more active management that will be working to, um, to perform. Whereas, yeah, your industry funds are more a set and forget and they kind of just tick along. There's nothing wrong with those, and they have their place in the market. Absolutely, they do. Um, They've got great marketing strategies. (laughs) 
But I suppose someone like Tilly, who could, if, who's wanting to do more, could be looking at, okay, where is my super? How is it invested? Could I be adding a little bit more into super? Noting that it has its tax benefits, adding funds into super, um, but you can't touch it until you reach retirement age or a condition of release to super. And that, for someone like Tilly in their mid-30s, can be really off-putting because who wants to lock their money away when they can't touch it? (laughs) Well, that was my question. I'm going to go two places with that. Like, one, what is Tilly... Like Tilly's in her mid thirties, right? Like, what does she give a fuck about super and retirement? It's so far away. Like, why is that something that needs to be in her periphery or her radar? But the other part of it is, yes, like you just said, if she doesn't want to lock her money away, like what other investment opportunities are there? Yeah, sure. So I think it comes down to priorities and goals, um, which probably of runs alongside um, her advantage and values. <laughs> because if, you know, if you... Have you added in, that into your client portfolio section yet? I have, I have. <laughs> so I guess that for someone like Tilly, let's say she's wanting to know more around what she could do to improve her super, but she also doesn't want to lock her money away. A financial planner is someone who would sit down with Tilly and go, okay, what are your goals? What are you wanting to achieve? And sometimes it's not, sometimes clients don't even realize what their goals are. They're unstated goals. We identify those and we put in a holistic plan of strategies to help a client achieve them. Sounds like a little like hype words, but it is true. That is the cornerstone of what a financial planner does. So someone like Tilly who, yes, wants to be more proactive with her retirement savings but doesn't want to lock her money away, let's just say she wants to purchase a house but she's thinking the, the real estate market's too hot right now, which we are going through. We've all seen the growth in the property market over the last few years. There's no denying that prices are high. No, I'm the dickhead that bought before the price hike. (laughs) People don't like me. (laughs) I (laughs) do. So let's say Tilly's been saving for this house, but she just doesn't want to purchase while the prices are high. She wants to just wait a little while. Let's say she wants to wait two years, see what happens with the property. She's got, she's saved up $50,000. There are options to have like almost like a quasi super. So it looks and feels like a retail super, but it's an investment account that's in that's in your own name, essentially. So generally speaking, you could hold your money inside of that investment account, which are in similar investments that you could have inside your super that are generating an income that's building your wealth outside of super, the only thing to keep in mind is that does not have the tax effectiveness that super has. So when you hold your, I think I'll stem back to what I said earlier about earnings inside of super. So the the income that your investments earn inside of your super fund are taxed at 15%. 
if you hold an investment portfolio outside of super, any income in that portfolio, whether it's reinvested or not, is taxed at your marginal tax rate. It is added on top of your taxable income. So I suppose let's say Tilly is a really high income earner. Maybe holding an investment portfolio outside of super is not in her best interest because it's going to hike up her taxable income. Um, but again, I think that comes back down to what are Tilly's goals? What are her priorities? And if not locking her money away in super where she can't touch it until she's, you know, 60, 65, then it's probably not in her best interest to put that $50,000 into super. Can you Does draw that- on your super to purchase a home? There are some rules um, around doing that, but again, I think it comes down to understanding if you were, during COVID, the government brought out that, that you could take the $10,000 from your super, which helped a lot of people. And it was, a, it was a great initiative at the time for those who had lost their jobs and who were struggling and needed access to cash. Um, and with no judgment, of course, because I don't want anyone listening if they did access their super to be concerned or anything like that. But I think it's remembering that taking $10,000 from your super is not just $10,000. It's any potential compounding that that $10,000 could have done inside of your super from now until retirement could be the difference between fifty dollars to $100,000 in compounding. So there might be rules to access super for that kind of thing. My personal standpoint on it is not to touch your super until retirement, but I understand that there are options available to people um, and that not all, one size does not fit all and that's okay. Yeah. And so to also go back on sort of what you were saying about the tax and the super, like that's almost two separate conversations, right? If you're really someone who's wanting to uh, minimize their tax output bill, whatever you want to, whatever language you want to put around it versus someone who's really looking at investment and super and that sort of thing, they would almost be two separate conversations. Yes and no. Um, They can all tie in together. Um, there are strategies that you can put in place, which again, it's so important to see an expert on these things, but they can go hand in hand. It just depends on the client um, and their situation and what their goals are. But if you really want to focus on building wealth outside of super, you can look at, you know, investing in an investment portfolio and it can look and feel however you feel comfortable because I suppose the higher you are, the higher portion that you invest your money into growth assets, you have to be aware that that then comes along with higher volatility. It's going to fluctuate and you have to be prepared to see the value of your portfolio go up and down and up and down on a daily basis. So understanding that um, and being comfortable in what risk, investment risk you're taking is really important. So I suppose for someone like Tilly with a shorter 
investment horizon would be looking would probably come out of a balanced investment investor around that 50 50 split of growth versus um defensive assets so that's going to it's still going to have the perks of having access to uh like direct shares things that are more volatile that do tend to generate higher return but in turn have higher investment risk is paired with those lower risk investments like cash, term deposits, that sort of thing. So they kind of hedge each other, if that makes sense. So it takes the big swings in the market. When you diversify your portfolio, it just compresses those down so that they kind of counteract each other and make that volatility less noticeable. Technical difficulties aside, we are back with Katie. Hooray. I broke the Zoom. It's like, shut up. Stop talking about boring things. (laughs) Should we talk about what happened in the beginning? I can't believe we didn't open with that. I was like, Katie, your microphone's not working. Katie, and I made her leave and restart Zoom twice. Guess what, people? It was my problem. (laughs) I must say, though, it is usually me. (laughs) It is. So um, we left off you with you talking about the intricacies of investment portfolios. Of investment portfolio. Port, oh my god. Portfolios. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um and it's it, super technical and details. It is. It is. And that is why it is important to speak to professionals about things like this. If you are wanting to get into that sort of thing, but there are some great ways to get started and I I'm fortunate enough that I work in the finance industry so I have a great understanding of these things but to a lot of people especially women they 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 find money just way too stressful and overwhelming to deal with and that's okay like it's to I get it it's it's no different from if I I know when we first started because I did her advantage back to basics when I first started, I had no idea. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> but that is why I seeked to sort out the help <laughs> from Mel. <laughs> it's contagious. <laughs> because you're an expert and you know what you're talking about. So I suppose for anyone listening who does look at their situation and go, it's all just too hard. I don't have to rub together at the end of each week or things like that that's okay and you're totally not alone there you would be so surprised at how many people feel that way and like Mel said I think that's the problem I'm just gonna like I think that's a problem that we all talk about how we feel this way and how Mm -hmm. we feel overwhelmed and how we don't know where to start Mm -hmm. that we almost sit in that conversation because nobody has anything to offer to get out of that and money can be such a taboo subject a lot of people don't want to talk about it um or disclose their personal position because of fear of judgment um and I get it even me I work in the industry um you know I'm supposed to be a professional I still have days or weeks that I go like, oh, my God, this is a lot. You know, I've got got 
10 bills in one week. And I just went, this is a lot of money that's about to leave my bank account. You know, everyone, no matter how rich or poor for the, I don't like using the word poor, but. Regardless of the amount of money they have in their bank account. Correct. Everyone's going to have finance stresses. Money does not solve all. And I know that that's weird coming from someone who works in financial planning, but it doesn't. There are a lot of things around that, like your values, your goals, that sort of thing that is going to dictate your attitude and your relationship to money. So for someone who is looking at their situation and going, I just don't know where to start, the best thing to do is just to pick one thing. And this is my, I should probably preface this by saying this is my personal opinion on these things, is that picking one thing and starting with it is better than doing nothing at all. So, you know, let's say you've got some credit card debt and you're feeling a little bit suffocated by that. Cut that card up, put a little bit of extra money on it each week, even if it's $10, just focus on one thing at a time and it will be okay. And well, I, support- I have a question for you here. You've got, say, for example, you've got a little bit of money in savings and almost the equal amount on your credit card. Mm-hmm. Is it a smarter move? Like, you know, logically, if you took the money out of savings and put it on your credit card and paid off your credit card, logically... Obviously, you've paid off your debt, right? But what if your brain is like, no, I need that little nest egg just in case? Like, what's the smart move there? For sure. It's definitely um, up to the individual. So, you know, you could, let's just say, let's go back to Tilly. (laughs) Fucking Tilly. She's not great with her money at the moment. Tilly's got $5,000 in her bank account, but she owes $5,000 on her credit card. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tilly's bills are not going to stop coming in. Let's just say she's living week to week, as in she's spending what she is earning mm-hmm. on her, like her living expenses are her income. She's also in her 30s, right? So she's got 30th, she's got engagement parties, she's got baby showers. Baby showers galore. <laughs> you know, she's spending her dough. She feels suffocated by that $5,000 in on owing on her credit card but she feels worried about letting go of her savings to pay that off. There's nothing to stop Tilly from either just paying off a little bit extra each week out of that $5,000 savings. Perhaps she would feel comfortable letting go of that $5,000 because maybe she is saving a little bit of extra money each week from her pay. I guess it's that, that balance of, Will I feel secure not having that money in my bank account versus how much I'm going to be paying in interest on that credit card debt? A lot of people will sit there and preach, pay your debt off, be debt free, you know, all of those things, which not owing money to some is the be or end all, they they have a huge fear around debt. And then there are other people who are a little bit more comfortable with the ins and outs of, of debt and owing money and lines of credit, that sort of thing. I suppose it comes back to don't think that you're don't think that you're not doing the right thing just because you owe money on something like a car loan or Ooh. a credit card. 
or a mortgage, it's okay. You're not, it's not that you're doing the wrong thing just because old mate down the street is owns his car outright and doesn't have any credit cards and he preaches that being debt-free is the be-all, end-all. Try and not, it, I suppose it comes back down to self, like um, and comparing yourself to others. Focus on you and what you want to achieve. Don't worry about the noise. Focus on what's important to you. So if being debt-free honestly is, if you sit with that and it keeps you up at night, focus on being on paying that down and getting rid of it. But if you're okay with it, but, you know, you've just been hearing comments at the gym or, you know, hanging out with your friends and they're going, you can't have debt, credit cards are so bad, blah, blah, blah. That's their opinion on that subject. If you're comfortable with it, if you go, no, I'm okay with that debt and I pay a little bit extra off each week and it's, you know, I just use it for the flight points or whatever it is, then that's okay if that works for you. It's totally fine. It's really interesting. I've got two stories for you. One was I was with a colleague on the weekend and she's finally got rid of all her credit cards, but her brother was saying that they, they're all business, the families it's a family business owners and they use their credit cards for the flight points. And she's really nervous about doing that because of her history with credit cards. And I'm like, yeah, but you've built up all of these beautiful financial practices now that you can kind of start introducing them with a credit card to use those points. And if it's not working for you, it's not working for you. And then you can change mm. after you've tried. Um, and second to that, I have another girlfriend of mine who her and her partner had a bunch of financial properties and um, both self-employed, I think. Very nearly both got injured at the same time, both very couldn't work and really came close to um, filing for bankruptcy. And so now they are petrified of debt and make all of their decisions around not having debt, essentially. Oh, I think becoming bankrupt would be such a traumatic experience for some people so even coming close to that I imagine the level of stress that someone would feel being in that position I can totally understand and see why they would then have that 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 those feelings around debt and that's totally fine as well as well as you know Tilly who (laughs) has her five thousand dollars owing on her credit card you know, but let's say Tilly feels really she has a weekend shoe addiction, you know? <laughs> of course, she wears some good shoes. <laughs> Tilly feels comfortable with that. And that's also okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've like being in the industry for eight years, I I think the the one that, that I I have this memory of this client that came in and he came in and he was dressed in a suit. Like he looked really professional. I was like, oh, it's interesting. A lot of times people just come in in their work clothes or in casual clothes. Like I, I, I first noted that as he walked in. He shook our hands. He sat down. He had a fold. He was very, very formal. And he goes, I'm so sorry my wife couldn't be here today. Um, I have to be honest. She felt too embarrassed to come. And I, I was like, 
oh. And he goes, we went and saw another financial advisor and they basically told us that they wouldn't touch us because we don't have enough money. I could have cried. <laughs> I'm a huge, I'm a sympathy crier. And honestly. Oh, this is in your eye. I can see it in your eyes right now. <laughs> horrible. He welled up and I just sat there and I thought, that is such a horrible experience and horrible feeling to have had by someone who should be there to guide and help. And this financial advisor, I don't even know who it was, just wanted to shut them out. And I hope that in my career that I am that financial planner that empowers people no matter their wealth position and even if I couldn't, you know, justify the cost of my service versus the benefits that could come from it, I would do everything in my power to provide them with what I could. And I think that it really can come down to the individual. And I know it sounds like a cliche, but it is so true. And everyone's attitudes towards money, investment risk, all of those things are so different. And it's 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 multifaceted. It's not even that, you know, um, someone who doesn't like debt will have high risk investments or anything like that. It, you know, the next person who doesn't like risk might not want to hold risky investments. Like it's everyone is different and it probably is parallel with what you do, Mel. Like every woman you speak to probably has something a little bit different but a little bit the same as someone else. So, you know, we talk about diet and exercise to help with whatever it is they want help with and I can give you all the advice and all the education, but until you know how to apply it to your own situation, it's just knowledge, right? And we know knowledge isn't real until it's applied. I think um, too, I want to talk about, because it's a topic that comes up a lot um, in my field of work, and that is, should I just be buying an investment property? Um, A lot of my friends ask me that question Um, and all I say is there's nothing, property is an asset class, it is an investment, but it's the Aussie dream, you know. It's the Aussie dream to save your money and buy your first home and then to buy more properties and more properties. And because we've seen our parents and even our grandparents go through some pretty bloody good property booms, right, But I think it's important to remember that property is just one asset class. There are a multitude of different asset classes available and different types of assets available to everyone, essentially. You don't have to do what the the person next to you has done Putting your money into property, there are pros and cons to every type of investment. And I'm not saying that property is bad because it's it's not. It's, it's just... the one that was is most spoken about. Like you said, it's spoken about amongst it your is. friends. And, you know, it's something. And I think because of that, it's a topic of conversation. So you want to get into it. And that kind of also grows yeah. that desire. Yeah. Yeah. 
to expand on that asset class, putting your money into a property, yes, it's going to potentially the capital will grow. So the value of the property is going to grow. If you put a renter in there, then you're generating an income from that investment. It stems back to that first sort of those first comments that I made that in retirement, your investments generate you an income, right? The thing with property though, to remember, and what I think is very important to note is that your money is not liquid. You think if you had money in a term deposit. What do you mean by, yeah, it's not liquid? If you have money in a term deposit, right? Yes, it's in there for a term or even a high savings bank account. You've got that money in what, a couple of days if you really wanted to get it out. If you had your money invested in a property, how long do you think it's going to take to make that, those funds available? Months. Yeah. At, so the, think, at, at a minimum. Yeah. And a lot of people wouldn't even think about that when they're looking to purchase a property. They just go, that's just what everyone does, you know. So I think it is important to note that. Please tell me that's well. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Oh, dinner's ready. <laughs> um, where were we after that? Uh, money's not liquid. Yeah, so I guess it's important to 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 be aware of your different asset classes or the different investments that are available to you, and again, link them back to your goals. What's the goal of holding that investment? Is it long term? you know, you want to hold it for X amount of years or something like that and you won't need access to that capital at all, then perhaps property is a good investment for you. Um, But if you're looking at, you know, you want to keep adding funds to it, you want to keep growing the value and, you know, have a regular savings plan and put money into it, you could build the value of that property, but it's, it's not like, you know, a savings account or an investment portfolio or a portfolio of shares or ETFs that, you know, you can keep putting extra money in and adding extra funds to. And it's also not very liquid. Whereas a share portfolio or something like that, you can get access to pretty quickly. Keeping in mind that your dinner is on the table. What is it, like, why, and this probably isn't a short question, but, like, who is someone that would want to keep their money liquid as to opposed to investing it in property? Oh, someone who wants access to their capital. So, you know. Um, so would it be someone, hypothetically, that we were talking, you know, at the beginning we were talking about the woman who wanted to invest in property but wasn't, you know, just kind of wanted to wait for a little bit. So she's got this chunk of money. She's got her uh, initial payment. Is that someone that would maybe? Yeah. Yeah. And I used an example of $50,000 with that woman and that $50,000 is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Um, You could start with as little as $1,000 if you wanted to, you know. Sometimes those figures can even turn people off. You know, you hear of, oh, you've got to invest $20,000 $20, to some people 
is like how could you ever save that Half amount of money? Half their yearly income, yeah. Yeah, how could you ever save that amount of money? There are options out there that allow people these days to invest in like things like ETFs and that sort of thing that gives you great diversification um, and gives you a taste for what it's like to invest your money and you'll see that market volatility and you'll be able to get a feel for for what investing into like the share market and that sort of thing is like. I would suggest if you are interested in investing money is having a look at those types of micro-investing options. It's a great way to get started. Yeah. Um, I feel like we could like, I feel like we should probably start roughing up because I feel like we could keep going. I, could um, I don't think we even yeah. touched on half of what we wanted to talk about. And I warned you of this. Katie's like, oh God, like not nah, trust me. We're not going to touch the surface. Um, I want to finish up with uh, two questions for you. One, have you got a resource or if someone wants to start really understanding their financial position, have you got a resource, a podcast, a website, like something or a book to read, like something that you would direct? I'm going to say women because that's who's listening to my podcast, women too. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I do. Uh, She's on the Money mm-hmm. is a great podcast. It's, um, she was actually, Victoria, she started it and she used to be, she's a retired, she calls herself a retired financial planner, but they are great. They are really into empowering women. And I actually very much idolize her. She's wonderful. Um, also millennial money is a good one as well. Um, Bear in mind, they can be a bit boring to listen to. I've listened to some of the She's on the Money and, like, I think some podcasts you can just hit play and kind of binge them, whereas I think you really have to pick the topics that you want. And because they are so far in, you probably have to go back to the beginning to find where you're at. And so you have to fish the podcasts Mm -hmm. a little bit. Yes. Otherwise, alternatively, you could read, (laughs) which is, so, like, everyone's heard of the Barefoot Investor. Mm-hmm. Oh, my and, God, I have a funny story about the Barefoot Investor. <laughs> but he's he has a great, um, he has good philosophies in his book. Like, you can't deny it. Um, and then your other option is to chat to me. Yeah. Yeah. I will happily chew your ear off over a glass of rosé or Riesling or anything like that. <laughs> well, in my head, I was like, you know what? We should organize. And I have um, a friend of mine, also another client, who is a lawyer. I'm like, it'd be really cool to get like you and her and me to sit down and do like a literally a women's empowerment workshop to get people on top oh. of all of these things. Imagine. Yeah. Let's do it like a long lunch or something. Oh, oh. Done. You had me at long lunch. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to wrap up on, and this is a bit of a quick fire question, so I know that you're going to love to own, overanalyze this, but give me like what comes off the top of your head. What are three key terms or phrases that we should, maybe not even three, maybe just one, but like is important for women who want to start improving their financial literacy to really know and understand? 
Like for me in the health world, I want people to know about their basal body temperature. I want people to know about their metabolism and their energy. And I want people to know about fucking fueling themselves properly. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Oh, just in what I can't do one. (laughs) Katie's about to (laughs) self-combust. I know. My perfectionism is like, I've got to answer it correctly. Um, I would say start small yep. and just build it up from there. Build it out. Don't try and tackle too much at once. You are going to overwhelm yourself. So I think that is as simple as putting $50 away each week into a bank account. Yep. Once that builds up, the world is your oyster. What do you want to do with that money? You know, or it's putting an extra $100 a week off the mortgage something like that just pick something small and just start there kind of like what we do with her advantage right like start with the values start small build on it. literally if you had given me all of those weeks information in the first week I would have been like oh that's too much to deal with and as we went along I was like ah this is not an ad for her advantage by the way (laughs) do it you won't regret it (laughs) um but yeah you're right like really starting small and really understanding because even I think if you ask someone like what's your financial position you're like fuck I don't know I've got a hex debt I've got a mortgage I've got credit card debt I've got and all of a sudden it like you said starts to feel really overwhelming and disempowering yep head in the sand straight away I can tell there's I want to give you one of these statistics I've got. So 52%. I want all of the statistics, but yeah, give me one. Um, 52% of women in Australia find it difficult or stressful or overwhelming dealing with money. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people, but I would also argue that that statistic is wrong. Like I think it would be higher. If I had to guess a number, I think it would be higher. Like if I even took my, my closest group of girlfriends I would say off the top of my head, two would feel comfortable talking about money and maybe like I don't think it would be more than that would that would even know their financial position. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 I'd agree. And I have yep. more than four friends. Not much more than four friends, but I have more than four friends. <laughs> sure you do, Mel. <laughs> so yeah I would say that I would yeah say that number's wrong yeah yeah it's yeah I start small try and and don't be afraid to talk about it it's we all need money to live you know and there's nothing to be ashamed of um and my inbox is certainly always open to anyone who feels overwhelmed by their money um it's a no judgment zone here I think I'm going to change the name of the podcast to this because literally everyone I talk to is like please let's have this conversation I'm here to help you out um yeah so I'm going to tag Katie's Instagram in the show notes um if when I do a clip for this I'll tag her in this too and so yeah know that if you have any questions ask them she's totally approachable I will vouch for that (laughs) 
I look scary, <laughs> but I'm not. Just come. That's say. just the stress that she's wearing on her face. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, since her advantage, I'm not stressed at all. <laughs> the carrot salad. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much for that. Um. So yeah, any final notes to add? No, I think that's it. I think I've babbled enough. <laughs> I'm gonna get you back for those statistics. I think. Yeah, absolutely. We didn't even talk about insurance. Nah, which I think there was a really cool little segment, but we went off on another tangent. Anyway, we We digress. um, (laughs) Thank you so much for jumping on. And did I pop your podcast, Cherry? You did. Of course you did. And allowing me to pop your podcast, Cherry. Um, Until next time. As always, if you found this podcast beneficial, share it with someone you also think would find beneficial. Um, and slide into Katie or my DMs with what your biggest takeaway was. Until next time, folks. <laughs>